0: Grab your notes, we're gonna dive in. This morning, we're kicking off a brand new series called Thin Spaces, and it's really a series that I believe is gonna help us Uh, As we begin to move, Easter's actually only three more Sundays away, as we move towards Easter, and for Easter, and this is my prayer for you, for Easter not just to be one of those holidays that we do that the day of you go like, oh, wow, Easter, that's right. It is the most significant moment for those of us who are followers of Jesus and should be the greatest celebration For us, and so we're going to be taking the next three weeks, this week and the next two, and really shaping uh, what it looks like for us to be aware and in tune with what God's doing in that. And that's the series called Thin Spaces. And here's what a thin space is: a thin space is a place where the boundary between heaven and earth is especially thin. It's those moments that that is just like it's a divine moment. A moment, perhaps, where you just feel like you just heard from God. I know for some, you've had a thin space even just this morning, where it, you've heard that worship song a hundred times, but but it just hits you in that right moment, and God just spoke to you in that. Uh, for me, a, a thin space often is uh, when I'm at the ocean. I grew up, uh, you know, in Santa Cruz, so the ocean is you know just an incredible place for me. But when I'm at the ocean, it's just this the expanse of the ocean, the the might of the waves, and, and the grandeur of God's creation just draws me in. And I'm just like, it's a thin space where I more naturally readily just encounter God in those moments. Uh, it might be, I think many had that thin space when it comes to our retreat last year, or this last week, Uh, And from the worship and to the teaching of God's word to, to the community and midnight conversations that bring these moments of where you just begin to have this divine encounter, this divine moment with God. Now, this is not to say that God is distant or far off. He is present all the time. Uh, it's not to say that this is some sort of magical moment that you try to create or candles you light, hocus pocus. Uh, thin spaces are simply moments where we are aware of God's ever-present reality in our lives. Now, My friend Christina, you just heard her give the announcements. Uh, she was sharing with me a, a thin space moment for her that happened a few years ago. Because I think we think of these moments sometimes as these grandiose times, and they often happen in the everyday and in the mundane. Uh, This is a moment she was telling me this past week, uh, where it was a few years ago, she's, dinner just happened, you know, the chaos of all that with three kids, and She's sitting, washing dishes, getting cleaned up, just like has happened probably a hundred times before. But uh, one of her kids is in the bathtub, play, playing, giggling, having a blast, and and the evening, you know, sun as it's setting begins to cast its rays through the window and the warmth on her face, and and she just rem- remembers that moments happened so many times before, but it was in that moment that there was just this awareness of of God's presence and God's goodness and His peace and And it's what the the writers in the Hebrew scriptures wrote, the shalom of God, his peace. And shalom is so much more than just the absence of strife. It is the presence of wholeness. It is the presence of, of God's reality, his kingdom reality in our lives. And I mean, that happened years ago and to this day is still a marking moment for her. Did you know that the God of the universe wants a moment with you? Like he's wild about you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And that these thin spaces is actually what you're made for and where life's truly found. When we are communing with God, when we're aware of his presence, when we're living in that reality, and it's not just something that we visit, but it's a reality that we go, okay, no, no, God with us and for us. So how do you experience This thin space, the thin space of God. That's what we're going to be wrestling with the next few weeks and talking about. And, And maybe you're like this. Maybe you kind of come into awakening, you look around, and it seems like everybody else has already got it figured out. You know, you, you look and see people worship, and they're like, they have encountered something that I haven't. They connect with God in a way that I don't. I don't quite understand it, and maybe you're brand new to the whole thing, and you see people raising their hand, and you're like, what is going on? Do they have a question, right? And nobody's answering their question. What is wrong with these people, right? But, but you just kind of feel like you've been left in the dark, wondering, is that an encounter for someone else? wondering if you'll ever have this moment with God. If that's where you're at, um, you're in a good spot because this is exactly where the person we're talking about today felt. He just felt in the dark. It's a guy that was watching what's happening when Jesus stepped onto the scene. Now, when Jesus stepped onto the scene, there was this revival happening in Judea just outside of Jerusalem by this man named John that got known as John the Baptist because he was baptizing so many people. And he's out in the wilderness and he's, you know, preaching this call to repentance and thousands of people are fucking out. And I mean, he's wearing camel hair and eats locusts and honey. And he's just kind of this wild, you know, guy that people are like, whoa, what's going on? And then Jesus shows up onto the scene and he and John, you know, John passes the torch to Jesus and and John's still doing this ministry. And then Jesus's is exploding. And you have this guy looking and wondering and going, did I miss something? As I see this revival of people, this turn towards God, but what's going on? And he was feeling a bit in the dark, and so he had a midnight conversation with Jesus. And we pick it up in John chapter 3, verse 1. If you got your Bibles, I invite you to open up to them. As he then experiences this thin space with God in this conversation with Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. In Jesus' day, there were two dominant uh, groups, uh, political and religious parties. There were others like the Zealots and the Essenes, but the two major groups that dominated the political religious landscape were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, and you can think of them a little bit like this. Uh, the Pharisees were the more conservative party, and the Sadducees were the more liberal party. The Pharisees were more uh, focused on national preservation. The, Pharisees were, or the Sadducees were much happier to work with the Roman uh, occupation. Uh, and this man, a Pharisee, actually believed uh, that, um, that God would finally restore the kingdom of Israel... When Israel turned from their apostasy, when they turned back to God. And so they were zealous about doing and following the law to the T. And they became very legalistic, but they looked around and saw what was happening in Israel and saw the people wandering away from the law of God. And so they felt like they were the watchdogs for Israel. And not only were they to live just such a precise life, they then were to call people to do that. And so they were very, very legalistic. But from their heart was to see the kingdom of Israel restored, Now, there was a group called the Sanhedrin, or in this text, the ruling council, and Rome had put into place a small group of Pharisees and Sadducees to be the final authority in Jerusalem. This was the highest legal, legislative, judicial body among the Jews. And so this man, a Pharisee, Part of the Sanhedrin ruling council is approaching Jesus. He, he would have memorized, actually, the entire Hebrew scriptures, and he is a teacher of the law. It says that he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi. Now, I want you to notice his posture, because if you read the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, uh, Pharisees weren't big fans of Jesus, they, uh, they didn't like him at all, and you can imagine why. Um, so if you're a part of the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling council, you have what? Power. And now you have this shift in power when you see thousands of people beginning to follow John and thousands of people beginning to follow Jesus. They are afraid that they're losing power, and Jesus is doing things that they can't explain. But instead of coming contentiously, Nicodemus comes humbly. He says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. What a huge statement. First, that he approaches Jesus as rabbi. This is the teacher of the law approaching Jesus. He says, hey, rabbi, we know you're a teacher who comes from God. Here's why. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Like, I'm watching you. I feel I'm feeling in the dark because I don't understand what's going on, but I'm watching you and like this person's lame, and they're healed. This person like sick, and they're, like you're doing unbelievable signs, and I don't know why or what. And behind this phrase, remember, the Pharisees, their ultimate goal was to see the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. And so here's what Nicodemus is saying. It's the the question behind the comment. Okay, something's happening here. Something big's happening in Judea. We're not really sure what's happening. And and we're supposed to be the leaders of this and we're feeling really in the dark right now. What's going on? And, And they had this deep, longing, this messianic hope that, that the anointed king would come and free Israel and once more be an independent nation. And so he's kind of asking, is now the time? And subtly saying, are you the one? Not really sure, but are you the one? In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one, that word, is to perceive or understand. No one can even understand the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The kingdom of God is wherever God is reigning. And he noticed Jesus flips the conversation from the kingdom of Israel to the kingdom of God. That, that this is the kingdom of God. is—is is where God's will is being done. I love what D- Dallas Willard says, that the kingdom of God is the natural home of the soul. That we're meant, intended to live in that thin space, that moment where we're in community with God. The walking in the garden at the cool of day. That's, that's our place. That's where life is found. Now, this word born again, circle that word born again. You're going to see it a few different times. It's the Greek word if you want to impress your friends. Uh, anathen. Anathon has two different meanings. You'll find in this conversation, Jesus actually has a wordplay going on, and he does it a couple different times. Uh, And this means born again, or it means born from above. And Jesus is actually talking about being born from above, but Nicodemus, it will find and see, see, takes them literally. Notice what Nicodemus says. How can a man be born when he's old? Like, I already came out of the loom, bro. And listen, listen. Listen. This is what he says: Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Nice. He just takes it so literal, doesn't he? I love that. By the way, I'm pretty literal myself, and I have a son who's super literal. It's always fun. So when you see your kids do the things that you do, it kind of gives you perspective on yourself. And um, I, he's just super literal. Uh, the other is a few years ago. We do this chop competition when we're on vacation. So we go on a summer vacation to my in-law's place, and it's awesome. But we do a chop competition with our kids, so they have to do a, a breakfast one day, and we judge them, you know, and a lunch, and we judge them. Yeah, there's winners. Yeah, come on. Uh, we, everybody doesn't get a trophy. Welcome to life. Um, I just crushed so many dreams right there. I'm sorry. All right. So it's the dessert competition, and my son's wrestling with, okay, what do I do? Is this, you know, and he goes to Jenny, and he's like, I'm thinking of making that, uh, that, it's the mint chip, you know, that's my wife's favorite ice cream, uh, milkshake, and so she says this to Ryder, says, oh, honey, you can't lose with a milkshake. Well, he did lose, (laughs) and guess what he said? Mom! You said I couldn't lose with a milkshake. He still brings it up to this day because he took her literally, which is meaning, man, a milkshake's awesome. Not literally you can't lose with a milkshake, but hello. Well, you can't lose with a milkshake, but you did lose, but it still was good, but you just wasn't as good as your sister's, and that was amazing. And better luck next year, son. I think that's sometimes where we're at, though especially in our relationship with God, is we sometimes take things and we don't fully understand them and we're a little bit confused and we keep trying something. And there might be just kind of an angle that we're looking at life, an angle that we're looking at God, an angle that we've been looking at Jesus, and it's almost as if there's these blinders and we're not able to kind of expand and see the full picture. And actually, my prayer is for this moment, is for you to begin to expand and see the full picture of what God's doing and how he's working. This idea of being born is really significant. And we miss this in the conversation with Nicodemus and why Jesus starts this conversation with him. Because to understand this conversation, we've got to understand how Nicodemus is hearing some of these things. Because he's taken it as a Jewish man uh, born into the temple system. And when he thinks about being born, and especially the kingdom of God, he's never questioned whether he was in the kingdom of God. He was born into the kingdom of God because he was born a Jew and he was born a man. Now, if I was wanting to convert and to become uh, enter the Jewish religion at that time, there would be a confession in, uh, that I would do. There would be a baptism for the proselyte. Uh, there would be new clothes that would be put on to me. There would be a circumcision that would be, take place. And yet, there were concentric circles when we think about the thin space with God in the temple. There was the circle outside that was the, uh, the court of the Gentiles. That was all for the God-fearing Gentiles. That's the place that I could go, but I could go no further closer to the Holy of Holies. The the next court then would be the court uh, for the women. Those would be the Jewish women who would go into worship, and they would go to that court. Then there would be one more court that would be closer yet still, and that would be for every Jewish uh, God-fearing man that they could then go into this court. And the reason they could go there, because they were born that way. And Jesus, listen, this is so big, This is, you can't miss this. Jesus is revolutionizing Nicodemus's understanding of what it means to be in the family of God, what it means to be chosen by God, and to be born and be in the kingdom of God. This is a new paradigm. <laughs> This is one in which he's saying, listen, there was an old covenant and a new covenant has come. In fact, you're going to understand and he's going to unpack this new covenant with Nicodemus right here because he sees that Nicodemus is struggling with this concept. Jesus answered, I'll tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God. Wait a second. I'm a Jew. I'm a man. Of course I can. I was born this way. And he says, unless he is born of water and the spirit. Now, there's a few different uh, ways people understand this. Some people say, water, what does water mean? Water means, you know, the the physical birth and then the spiritual birth. And so when a woman, you know, is about to have a baby, her water breaks. Uh, Unfortunately, that wasn't an understanding in the ancient day or an allusion to birth. So I don't think that's what he was meaning. Some... Have said well, perhaps the water refers to John the Baptist and the baptism uh, of John, and that you have to be baptized and repent, and then the Spirit of God, and and certainly that could be an explanation. But if you got your Bibles, flip them over to Ezekiel chapter thirty six, and we'll see what Jesus is saying. And this is what Nicodemus is hearing because this is the language he speaks and his background. Nick, uh, Ezekiel thirty six verse twenty five says, "I will sprinkle clean." Water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart. A stone, uh, your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Here's what Jesus is saying in this moment to this 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 guy who's filling in the dark and seeing what's going on. He's saying the old paradigm is gone. The new paradigm has come. The old covenant is done away with. The old way of relating to God, the old way of somehow trying to commune and get connect, that is getting abolished. And a new way through his Son has come. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. And then he says this. You should not be surprised at me saying this. You must be born again or born from above. Then another wordplay. He says, the wind blows. And that's the Greek word pneuma. And it means wind or spirit. Earlier he's saying the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. The same word, pneuma. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This new covenant has come, and it's a spiritual new reality. And then Nicodemus asked this, how can this be? And and I just got to be honest, we got to give Nick a lot of grace. His paradigm has been rocked. And I would argue that we need to give some of the characters that we read about a lot more grace. Because I think those that are kind of in this area that are, that are new, that are wrestling with questions, they don't feel the freedom to ask questions. And there's some spaces in our missional communities where maybe you have a question or you don't quite understand or you want to know more, but you feel like everybody already gets it and you're feeling in the dark. And go, no, 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 ask the question. His category has been flipped upside down. This concept, it's a brand new paradigm. And, and I don't know if you remember learning algebra. How many of you, yeah, algebra, yeah. I'm, I'm not very good at math. Arithmetic, great. Geometry, actually, my brain works really well with that. Um, algebra, my mind really struggled with algebra. And you know what great teachers do when you're learning a new concept? They take an old concept that you already know and build it onto and help connect it to whatever that new concept is. And so, you know, like solving for X, though, I remember my brain almost exploding. (laughs) Just like, man, and all the equations, I'm like, I don't get this. This does not make sense. And then eventually one day it made sense. And this is what Jesus is going to do when he realizes this is a new paradigm for Nicodemus. And he's going to help build this new paradigm off of what Nicodemus already knows to be true. He says, you're Israel's teacher, literally the teacher. He is an important person, uh, Nicodemus is, uh, when it comes to communicating the law uh, for Nicodemus. in, in Judaism, he says, and you don't understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you, you people do not accept our testimony. Now, notice, he says, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak heavenly things? Now he's going to get to answering this question right here. Because he was a little bit like, hey, okay, man, you're the one that's teaching everybody. And I'm glad you're here. But, man, we got we to gotta move the ball along. No one has ever gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Circle that word, Son of Man. This is Jesus' favorite title for himself. You'll see that he re- referred to himself over and over. And it's another wordplay or double entendre uh, of where he means to see to himself. Uh, this is his identifying himself as the coming Messiah. And if you're still in Ezekiel, flip over to the book of Daniel, because this is where this phrase comes from Daniel chapter 7. So when Nicodemus would have heard him say the Son of Man, this is the picture that would have come to his mind when he heard him say that. In my vision, this is Daniel speaking, at night, that's verse 13. I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus, in that one moment, Thin space conversation with Nicodemus said, you're asking about the kingdom of Israel. Wrong question. Kingdom of God. Kingdom of God has appeared because I am here. The son of man has shown up and I'm here. He's like, okay, and if you don't get it quite yet, let me connect it one more dot. Not just with the prophets, but with the law and with Moses. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. Now that's a weird story. If you want to go read it, it's Numbers 21, verse 4 and 9. And it's the people wandering in the wilderness, and they're grumbling, and God's provided over and over for them. In fact, uh, he's provided manna, and then they're going like, um, God, you're not a real good cook. We we want something different. Can you like provide something else supernaturally for us to eat? And God was like, okay, fine. Um, and then serpents began to invade their... Um, their camp, and they're like, oh, never mind, we love the food, God, we're sorry, we're sorry. And God tells Moses to fashion uh, a serpent, a bronze serpent, hold it up in the middle of camp, and anyone who looks to the serpent uh, will live. I told you, it's a kind of a weird, bizarre story. And Jesus is making this connection. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man, this king that we just read about, must be lifted up. This is the first time we see Jesus speaking about his ultimate crucifixion. That everyone who believes in him, like puts their trust, the weight of their life, may have eternal life. Now eternal life in John's gospel isn't just like life at the very end, like somehow heaven later. And it certainly has that. Eternal life means life now and forevermore. Meaning that that when you believe and put your faith in Christ, it's not somehow that you have fire insurance for later. You live like hell now, so you get heaven later. It, it is that you have life now. Like you, you are walking around sleepwalking. You are walking around, what Jesus would say, spiritually dead. And the minute you put your faith in him, you are born from above. You are spiritually alive. And you heaven invades. And in that moment, it's a thin space, and you encounter God, and you become spiritually alive and are able now to walk in the ways of God in a way you never could before and you get a walk in life now, ongoing forever. And out of this, this is the context, by the way, for the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3.16. John gives his commentary on this and he says, for God so loved the world. That's a radical concept, by the way. A Jewish understanding in that day wouldn't say God loved the world, but God loves his chosen people. God so loved the world, every single person, regardless of your race, regardless of your creed, regardless of your behavior, God loves you. Regardless of where you've been and what you've done, God loves you. How? That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall shall not perish, but have eternal life. Conclusion. For you to have spiritual life, there first must be a spiritual birth. I'd like I suggest that for some, perhaps you've been doing church. And the reason perhaps you feel in the dark is you have been doing church and going through religious motions and even doing good things, but you've never had a spiritual birth. You've never experienced the Spirit of God come inside you and make you alive. You've never put the weight of your life on Jesus. Like he's saying, okay, you are more than a body. You're more than chemical reactions or the firing of neurons. You are a spiritual being, and just as you had a physical birth, you need to experience a spiritual birth. Well, how is one born from above? To be born from above, to experience spiritual new life, it's first accomplished by Jesus. For God so loved the world, That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You can't work your way to new life. Jesus did the work. What he accomplished on the cross was the payment for everything we've ever done wrong. On the cross, he was the object of wrath. God's just wrath poured out on him so that everything that has ever been done that is evil against God, that both past, present, and future is paid for on the cross. Jesus said it this way in Mark ten forty five. The Son of Man, again, his favorite one, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. First and foremost, to be born from above, the work was done by Jesus, is accomplished by Jesus. This is the theological word, redemption. God lovingly buying you back from slavery to sin. Seeing that you're far off, that you can't do anything to get back to God. You can't do anything in and of yourself. And God says, I will do the work. It's been finished on the cross. Secondly, it is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's accomplished by Jesus. And then regeneration is a work of the Holy Spirit. Notice this, Titus 3, 4 and 7. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, which is good news for me. Maybe not. Maybe you're much better than me, but I don't have, when I think of the standing, a whole lot of righteous things. I have a lot of good things, but not a whole lot of righteous things I've done. I'm grateful that you're not judging me on the curve. But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. The work is finished on the cross. Jesus paid for it once and for all, that you might be able to have spiritual life. All who look on him might live. Then the Holy Spirit, the minute you put your faith and trust, comes inside of you and brings spiritual life, reborn, Regeneration is the theological term, to be internally made alive by the Spirit of God. You can't make yourself alive, only the Spirit of God can. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells inside of you. Now, listen, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Romans 8, 11. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. This isn't somehow about taking your old self and making it a little better. He's saying, no, no, no. I'm making you brand new. The old is gone, the new has come. Guys, religious activity isn't going to cut it. And it's not going to change you. Trying harder is not going to work. The person you long to be, you're made to be, happens when you acknowledge, I can't work it, Jesus did the work, and the spirit comes inside of me and makes me alive. And so as a result, the, re- the way, how are you born from above? is simply where we appropriate it by faith. Let me, I use that word specifically because it's a technical term, but most people, we don't use that word today anymore. Appropriated means to take for one's own. To take for one's own by faith. So it's the picture, let's just say that someone wrote you a million-dollar check. To appropriate that is to take the million-dollar check, thank you very much, hello, for your own. It's not enough for someone to write the check. It's great. It's already been paid for. All your worries are done. You still have to take the check. You have to appropriate it. The way you appropriate it is by faith, by putting your trust, the weight of your life, on the finished work of Jesus, by inviting the Spirit of God to come inside you and make you new. See, the check has already been written, the payments already been done. And you say, Thank you. I receive it. Faith. By the way, I think this is why a lot of Christians who (laughs) live defeated lives. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise God. Our heavenly Father, who has blessed us in the spiritual realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. See, in Christ, it's so much better than a million dollar check. It's like every spiritual blessing is yours already. You don't have to come and get on your knees. Like, oh, God, please, please, please help me. Oh, I've been a bad boy. I've been a bad girl. Please, please, please. Wow, It's like, no, no, you're a son and daughter of the King Most High. All resources are yours already. You just go, mine. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. And you already realize I'm adopted. I'm redeemed. I've been bought back by the blood of the lamb and the spirit of God dwells inside of me. And so if first, uh, second Peter, Uh, One three says this, that it's talking about that God has already given us everything we need for a life of godliness, health, through our knowledge of Him. He called us by His own glory and goodness. Like His divine power is what it says literally there. His divine power, like He's given you this. Appropriated through faith. We wrestle with this word faith. Faith is for, you know, people who are not intellectual. No, faith is for everyone. Every single one of us lives by faith every single day. In fact, this moment in here, I love Billy Graham's like, uh, famous illustration, like you sat in these chairs by faith. You did not examine them to make sure that all the structural properties were correct, that they was gonna hold your weight. You just assumed that someone made it with a design that would support you. You didn't investigate and make sure everything, you just sat down and by faith you sat down and as a result, it supported you. You did that when you drove. By faith, you trusted that the engineers who who built all the hardware and components to your car made it in such a way that it won't blow up when you drive, that when you turn the steering wheel this way, it actually turns that way. We live and operate by faith. How many of you know the scientific explanation and the mathematical equation for why the earth revolves around the sun? I actually had one last service. And yet, the funny part is you all believe the earth revolves around the sun. You took that by faith. You don't know the equation. See, we live by faith. Faith is not opposed to knowledge. It's opposed to sight. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And when we begin to go and realize, the the question is, where, where is my faith based? What is the object of my faith? The beautiful part about Christianity this is this not saying put your head in the sand and pretend like intellectual questions are are dumb? It's no think about your faith. Wrestle with your faith. All of Christianity hinges on a single historical event. Examine the evidence of your faith. But what are you going to do? This righteousness is given through faith in Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This word justification means to be legally forgiven and declared righteous by God. Like, you're standing. Some of you have been living under a weight of guilt and shame. Let's just be real. Romans 8 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you have been justified by the finished work of Jesus. That moment on the cross was the payment for everything both past, present, and future that you could ever do wrong. And so your legal standing, if God is the just judge and he looks at you and says, what have you done? Your legal standing is Jesus said, I paid for it all. And so you stand before him righteous. In fact, it's even better than that. It says that the imputed righteousness of Christ is on you so that you have the spirit of of God living inside of you, and you're covered by Christ so that when God looks at you, he sees his son. Right. How do you be born from above? First, it's accomplished by Jesus. It's a work of the Spirit, and it's appropriated by faith. I don't know if Nicodemus left that conversation still filling in the dark. It doesn't give us any conclusion to it. But I do know that when Jesus hung on that tree, he, Nicodemus went like, I now get it. Now I get it. You know, if there wasn't Nicodemus and another Pharisee, part of the Sanhedrin, a guy named Joseph of Arimathea, we wouldn't have Easter. To die... Uh, a Roman crucifixion meant that you were to be thrown a a into a big valley. Actually, it was a public burial. You didn't have a a personal burial. It was another sign of disgrace, and you know all those who were criminals would just be thrown out there, and dogs would come and I, I won't get into the details. I just realized that's probably too much for the moment. But Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, it says that they were secret followers of Jesus. And when they saw the crucifixion of Jesus, I can't help but realize that in that moment when when he heard and remembered Jesus saying, but the Son of Man must be lifted up and everyone who looks to him will live, he goes, now I get it. And it was after that moment that he became a public follower of Jesus, I don't know about for you. Like perhaps you've been around for a while. Perhaps you grew up in the church and it's never clicked. And you've just felt a little bit in the dark and like I just have to go through the motions, I fake it till I make it. No, that's stupid. Please don't. Just be real. Just be honest. But perhaps this is a thin space for you, where the reality of God's love for you, his sacrifice, and what's true about you is a moment where you say yes to the invitation of the gospel to experience new life. So I'm just going to invite Gabe and Jess to come up, and I'm going to pray for us. Because for spiritual life to take place, a spiritual birth must first happen. And for if you're here and you're in the spot where you're going I need a spiritual birth. Like I've been I've been trying, I've been religious but that life that you're talking about I don't have and I want it. And so you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus. Invite the spirit of God to come inside you to make you new. And you say, today I place my weight and trust in you, Jesus. And the promise of Scripture is in that moment the Spirit of God comes and dwells inside of you. Would you invite him in? Would you invite him in? For others, you can look back on the moment when you invited him in and the fire that your faith had. and, And there's honestly been drift. And you, you have spiritual life, but, but you feel like you're just kind of crawling. And this morning you go, no, I'm going I'm to re- lean on you, Spirit. Would you come? Would you strengthen me? Would you fill me afresh? Because God's got big plans for you. Mm. The kingdom of God is the place where the soul is at home. God, we invite you here to have your way to speak to us. In Jesus' name.